Hello and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael. Good evening. How are you today? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, just uh, sat through a relatively turgid 90 minutes of football. England just beat Nigeria 2-1. It's a win. Um, it is a win, yeah, and we'll obviously come on to speak about that a little bit later on. How are you doing? Yes, not too bad, thank you. It's, uh, it's a little bit later than we originally anticipated for the second half of our Premier League review, uh, but but life and shit got in the way, and, uh, and and a small matter of a trip to Wembley as well. It did indeed, yeah, that kind of put the... Uh put the mockers on yeah big, chatting about football big spanner in the works I've had to have a week off really um to, to get over it all but it, just just to set the scene really uh, we obviously went to watch the championship playoff final last weekend and uh watched my beloved aston villa lose one nil to fulham and uh yeah it was a disappointing one really uh, i think it was probably quite a, an enjoyable game for the neutral uh, a very frustrating afternoon for me certainly yeah, I mean, it was, and I sort of said this to you, I think it was yesterday when we were talking about what we were going to talk about during the show today, and I said I, I don't necessarily feel like a neutral at a Villa game anymore because of the, the vested interest that I have, obviously. Because you hate us and you support the other team every no, time. No, absolutely not. No, 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 it's, it's, it's difficult, and obviously you only ever support one football team, yeah. but, but when you go and watch a team with a, with a friend, generally you want them to win, and it's it's it was so frustrating. I, I completely agree. It was It was a game of... A real lack of quality for the first sort of half an hour. Yeah. Um, I, I know that Aston Villa did all right in the first ten fifteen minutes to contain Fulham, but it was that period in the first half that that set the scene for the for the rest of the game. That was that was the most annoying thing. And I mean, what's your one real worry following this game? Because I know we've talked a lot about it since. Yeah, we, we've got issues with how much money we've got available, really. So we're we're right at the limit of financial fair play. So realistically, unless we sell reduce the wage bill we're going to struggle to uh, to really do a lot in the summer and, and obviously there's some big earners that have come off the wage bill Terry's already gone uh, Agbonahor's gone uh, we've got rid of quite a few of the loanees as well uh, but equally we've got some coming back and then you still look at the likes of Mika Richards who's still picking up a tidy sum um, which is worrying that they're the things that are really frustrating as a football fan when you've got the kind of so-called mercenaries, I guess. But I think, you know, looking forward to next season, I, I think a lot of it depends on, on kind of three men, really. And that's uh, Dr. Tony, the chairman, uh, whether he's going to pull the trigger with Steve Bruce, who's the other one. Um, and then probably the main one, and the, the main worry for most Villa fans is Jack Grealish. Um, he's realistically the only one that you would see commanding a decent fee that, that would allow us the opportunity to sign some players. Yeah, I've seen some links this week that I think it's Leicester who are in for him, but I've seen figures of £40 million Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, when you consider that Sadio Mane went to Liverpool two years ago for yep. £30 million, I'm I'm not too sure that the market's moved that far forward. I know he's English, and generally that will overinflate it anyway, but I just think that seems like a pretty wild figure for somebody who's not really done a huge amount since he uh, since he broke through. No, he hasn't. I think I, I think he'll probably stay. To be honest, I think he at the start of last season, Steve Bruce wanted to build the team around him, and he had I think it was about three months out uh, at the start of the season with an injury that he picked up in pre-season, and that just it, and it showed as well. We didn't get off to a very good start, and that's part of the reason why we're in the playoffs in the end. But I, I think given a full season and given a full pre-season as well, he'll be given the opportunity to continue to express himself he plays with freedom he's given license to do exactly what he wants to do but also he's matured a lot this season as well and I think the combination of the two should see him as the, the again the focal point and the talisman for us and I think realistically depending on what business we could do 
he's probably the main uh, catalyst for us having any success next and year. And he nearly scored one of the best goals <laughs> Wembley's did. ever seen on Saturday, didn't he? It was yeah. uh, it was almost incredible. Yes, it was. Um, and and as I say, you know, frustrating game. We did have a lot of chances, particularly in the second half, and uh, we we just couldn't put them away. And and to be fair, Fulham didn't have that many chances. It was a a moment of quality between uh, two standout players this season, in Sessegnon and the goal scorer Kearney as well. It'd be you know good to see them in the Premier League as, as much as I rue getting beat at Wembley by them I, they are a team that you want to see in the in the Premier League and they play football the right way as well yeah you'd expect them to bring something different to the Premier League yeah. and I think a lot of away fans will look forward to a trip to Craven Cottage it is one of those grounds that you uh, you associate with football it's yeah. one of the, the good old grounds and, and I would certainly be up for going there next season and it's it's as much as, like you say, it's difficult from a Villa point of view, you look at the other teams that are in the playoffs and the likes of Derby and the likes of Middlesbrough, they've been there before and um, they've sort of yo-yoed a little bit, whereas Fulham spent quite a long time in the top flight and obviously this is the first time that they've got back since their relegation, so it will be a better place with them next season, that's for sure. And uh, after that game, <laughs> we um, we tried our absolute hardest to find a pub that we could watch the, uh, the Liverpool game against Real Madrid in the evening and we failed miserably didn't we yeah we watched it through two pub windows before we managed to get into one um, but we were in the pub for that last 20 minutes weren't we where it all sort of kicked off yeah it was uh, I mean obviously everyone will have seen it and, and heard about it now but uh, yeah a couple of goalkeeping errors it's fair to say from Carriers well yeah I mean just when you thought he was starting to look yeah. pretty solid and, and Liverpool might have a dependable number one that they could build on for next season he goes and does that on, on arguably the biggest age that you'll ever have a, a, as a goalkeeper he won't maybe. come back from that no I mean no you would you would have thought and it's probably for his benefit if he was to seek a move but probably go abroad don't yeah, even stay yeah, in England absolutely. because the amount of people that are going to get on his back if he goes back to Germany or goes to a league where the spotlight's not on him plays for a couple of years and there's no there's no um, reason that he can't rebuild his reputation but it's going to take time it is and you know I think we've seen him kind of almost crumble in, in a lot easier scenarios as well so it, it will be an interesting one to see what they do I mean they've been linked with a lot of goalkeepers this week as well so you would suspect they'll uh, look to replace him and, and possibly even replace Mignolet as well bring two or three in but um, I, I think just a, a, a quick last word on Liverpool really they've done extremely well to get there um, and a lot of that was built around the, the attacking play and I think when they lost Salah uh, I, I would say they went within themselves they played with, within themselves there was no real uh, threat and penetration that they were showing before and I think from that point Madrid felt like they were in control of the game and they felt like they'd just win it not only that but I think when you look at Liverpool throughout the season Salah started like a house on fire and he's never really stopped I think he's only yeah. missed a couple of games through injury so they only have really known how to play one way and yeah, exactly. then when your whole season tactically has changed in 30 seconds and you've got to try and come up against arguably the best team in Europe in the biggest game in Europe then it's so difficult as a manager to try and change things and I know he put Adam Alana on who's not had a huge amount of game time this season but they just look like a completely toothless outfit against a team who are more than capable of, of defending against that sort of threat and it's so difficult as a Liverpool fan because you you almost rue what happened and, and, and wonder whether if Salah had played the full 90 minutes he could have made a difference and obviously they, they managed to equalise and, and they showed a lot of spirit to keep it as close as, as it was for, for, for as long as it was but then I think you look at the, the experience of the Real Madrid players the fact that they've been in that, that final four times out of the last five five years 
and won it every single time and yeah. it, that's where these big game players are able to step up and it's just a lack of experience at this stage which has which has stopped them from from winning it from a Liverpool point of view yes and that was the uh, that was the culmination of club football this season and uh, you know we, we've still got the rest of the Premier League review to talk about and we've also got the World Cup to look forward to as well which uh, I think we'll touch on at the end of the uh, end of the episode we'll talk about the game that we've just watched the England Nigeria game and also look ahead to the World Cup as well but as I say we've got some business to attend to before we can get to that and we're going to start with the lowest team of the top half of the Premier League in our season review and again we've got some uh, some correspondence in from fans as well which has been great and, and greatly received so that's uh, it's built up quite a lot of the content for this episode and Newcastle we had uh, Matt Wilson get in touch with us on, uh, on Twitter and uh, he talked about uh, a, a season that I think we could probably all agree that they were looking to just stay up really very yeah. much the same as Huddersfield and Brighton and um, I think anything over and above that would have been a bonus so you know for them to finish in the top half is just absolute madness really absolutely and and basically Matt said that it, it is madness that they finished there and they were effectively fighting off relegation a few weeks before the season concluded and I mean it's, it's such a, a difficult one as a newly promoted side because you you wonder what to prioritise. You do do you have a go in the cups or, or 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 do you just put all of your your eggs in the league basket? And and obviously Matt sort of goes into that in a bit more yeah. detail, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you look at the league and um, a run of one point from a possible twenty seven between uh, October and late December uh, leaves them in eighteenth place. And it, you know, he he felt that it was more like a poor run of form than a slide into the relegation quagmire, as he put it. And and that's probably about right. There wasn't too many genuine fears for Newcastle throughout the season. And it, you know, I think a lot of that boiled down to the fact that they had Rafa Benitez as the manager. He was uh, head and shoulders above pretty much every other manager around that area of the, the table. And you know. The business that he did in the January window, bringing in Kennedy and Martin Dubravka in particular, um, initially didn't look great and, and wasn't that exciting. Um, but then from there, um, they looked fantastic towards the end of the season. And I think they were also kind of ruined the, the takeover talks again as well. And that seemed to dog their season throughout as well, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I think that the 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 fact that they had somebody who was able to contribute league goals throughout the season in Iose Perez and it's something that Matt talks about again he he contributed eight league goals but those eight league goals contributed towards 19 of the 47 points that they picked up and he then says in summation finishing 10th doesn't really matter survival was the only goal but to finish 11 points above the drop zone it does add a nice gloss to the season and not only that but they've moved quickly at the start of the transfer window to make the signing of Dubravka permanent which I think is a really good move for them Um, and it looks as though Benitez may well get some backing financially this summer which Newcastle fans have been crying out for for so long now and I think that it probably does overemphasize how well they've done a little bit in terms of where they've finished however you can't argue with the, the difference in terms of the points because last season I think there was about six points separating 12 teams and it looked as though it was going to be a similar sort of thing towards the end of this season but Newcastle really pulled away in the last few weeks and it's one of those where you almost don't want the season to end but they will come back in the summer and you would hope that the confidence within that group would be far higher than it's been 
probably since they finished fi fifth under Pardew, you would hope that it's at new levels and Benitez can hone that to, to really push them on next season. I know as a Newcastle fan, the league is the bread and butter, but it would be lovely for that club to see them do something in one of the cup competitions. They get knocked out far too often in the early rounds and if they're able to establish themselves in the Premier League, then the next step has to be to try and go and win a trophy. Absolutely, and if they can keep hold of Benitez as a cup manager as well, you know, he's won trophies all, all over Europe, uh, including the you know the biggest honours as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's the key, uh, keeping hold of him. And to keep hold of him, you have to give him a little bit of money as well. And I think it's going to be an interesting one to see whether there's, there's more talk of uh, investment elsewhere and, and someone else coming into the club. And naturally, a top half finished in the Premier League just, you know, adds value to it. So, either Ashley stays there or, or he manages to sell for a much more inflated price than he would have in January. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about in January, wasn't it? We yeah. were saying that the, the, the problem that they've got at the moment is that if they were to go down, then anyone who's invested in that club is risking a huge amount. There's no risk now no. because they've just finished 10th. They're definitely going to be in the Premier League next season. And if a takeover is going to happen, it needs to happen at the start of the summer. There's no point in it getting towards the end of the transfer window because, of course, the transfer window closes prior to the Premier League season starting this summer for the first time and and that's something that Newcastle need to be aware of because if they have the same sort of issues throughout the January transfer window then that can almost distract too much from bringing in the players that they need to ensure that they build upon this 10th place finish. They certainly uh, bettered our expectations didn't they? Yeah we had we, I think we both had them finishing 16th yeah. didn't we and um, yeah I think was it not for that last three or four decent results yeah, they probably would have been would have been around there. But um, but yeah, I, I think that they've they've exceeded pretty much everyone's expectations this season. Absolutely, and it was uh, a fairly comfortable season really for the team above them in Leicester, and uh, you know they got off to a poor start, and it was one that saw uh, manager Craig Shakespeare lose his job in October. Won, I think it was once in eight games, which saw them in the relegation zone. But I think from there they made the decision quite quickly to bring in Claude Puel, who comes in it was quite a surprise I think at the time as well. We didn't necessarily expect him to be. I'm not even sure back in English football full stop, did we? No, I think that the way that he left Southampton, it wasn't that his reputation had necessarily been damaged, but he just didn't do anything to pull up any trees in English football. I don't think anyone would have looked at him and thought, you know what, I really want him to take over at our club. What Claude Puel is, is a safe pair of hands, yep. and he's somebody that will not be too expressive in the way that he sets his team out. But what he did well at Leicester was... He reverted back to how they played in the in the title-winning season under Ranieri. He built from a solid base and then he basically allowed the front players a very small amount of defensive responsibility. So he was very solid in terms of the back four, the two in front of them. But then the forward players, he didn't really give them too much license to do anything other than what they're good at. And that's that's almost all you can ask as a manager is is that somebody's going to go in there and, and really look at the strengths that you've already got within that squad rather than trying to turn everything around because that's where we've seen so many fail previously. Yeah. And that was it, that's what I was going to say you know, at times they were playing the football they were playing two years ago when they won the league and um, key to that was Jamie Vardy who got 20 goals which is fantastic for a team that actually weren't scoring a huge amount of goals throughout the season and you know, some really really dazzling performances from Riyad Mahrez who I think had his season kind of overshadowed a little bit by a proposed move to Manchester City, which collapsed, and it was a, a bit of a one-man strike for for a period of time. And you thought, you know, is there a way back for him? But actually, the Leicester fans had him straight back in, didn't they? And that's the thing: when you win the league as such a, a pivotal player within that team as he did, he you could basically do some serious damage. And, yeah. and I think you're always going to be welcomed back by those fans because of what you've done previously. I think that he's, he probably deserves his move now. I think he came back into the team and did a lot of good things. And 
the problem that Leicester have got is bit by bit that that team is being dis- dismantled and you would have thought if Vardy and Mares were to leave then they almost need to consider a completely new approach to the way that they play because those two are so integral to the type of football that that, that team has been so familiar with over certainly two of, yeah. of the past three seasons. I think not not both of them, just one or the other really. I think um, they there's an over reliance on the two of them um, separately, and I, I think we've asked the question a few times. You know what happens next for Leicester, and not only is it there's players leaving, there's there's as we've said the defence is ageing as well, and you know they're looking shakier at the back every every year. They're going to have to get a new manager in by the looks of it this summer as well. So that there is a almost a period of rebuilding after the the highs of the last couple of years that they're still kind of coming down from really yeah and I, I compare them very much to the way that Southampton were a, a couple of seasons ago that the, they're the team that teams will come in and look to take your players because yep. they can get them on relatively cheap wages they don't have to pay huge transfer fees for them and the likes of Harry Maguire there's a lot of interest in him there's a lot of interest in Vardy Mares, um, Ndidi people like that who could quite easily slot into to top four sides, and and that's that's the problem with a club of that size. You almost become victims of your own success, and it's the problem with Leicester is they've they've got to the highest level that they're ever going to get to now. So, do they push it financially to try and move up a level and and, and really compete with that top six? But by doing that, the, the the problem is that the amount of money that they're going to spend, if they're if they're then unable to do it, it's not a sustainable model. So. I think you're right there is a tipping point where they've got to decide whether they're happy to consolidate and be the best of the rest yep. or whether they're really going to spend some money and, and, and go all out to try and get back to where they were two seasons ago yeah you know they, they did better again than, than we thought uh, you had them down at 14th I had them down at 11th and I think at that point there was still a lot of talk about Mares leaving as well so and, and I think Vardy had had a couple of approaches so I think we already saw the tide turning for them not only to, to finish where they did not only that yeah. but I think also if Craig Shakespeare had been in charge for the whole season I think 14th probably yeah, 15th yeah. may have been yeah. about where he would have finished or, or even lower because obviously he struggled so much in the early days speaking of chucking money at it Everton uh, a lot of expectation uh, for Everton at the start of the season. Quite a lot of excitement as well. And um, we've had Elliot Bretland as a, a huge Evertonian um, get in touch with us. And I'll just read the kind of first line that he sent in. I think it, it sums it all up, really. It was all just very surreal whilst very depressing. Uh, a season which started with such hope, positivity and optimism after a summer spending spree of £200 million had turned into a campaign of despair and misery by September and ended with Sam Allardyce at the helm. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. The, the problem that Everton had was the the start and they just never really recovered from it, did they? No. And and the, the amount of expectation that came with the amount of money that was spent and also bringing in Ronald Koeman, who had a really good time at Southampton, was so exciting for fans who'd who'd really struggled for anything to get too excited about for quite a while now, certainly since David Moyes had left. And you almost thought that, that Everton could really challenge. The the signing of Rooney looked like a relatively shrewd one and yep. he started the season really well and you thought, you know what, they're gonna be alright here. But then the problem was they didn't properly replace Lukaku and goal scoring became a massive, massive issue for them and, and, and that was where you just saw all of these teams overtake them. Yeah, you were just you know you were looking at the team, thinking right that all fits into place. 
there's just that one position now. They just need to replace Lukaku. Everything's going to be fine. And, and to be fair, they brought Sanktosan in uh, in January, who who did well and, and scored a few goals. And uh, potentially next season, you know, with a, a full pre-season under his belt and he's got used to English football, then, you know, he, he looks good. And um, I, I think, you know, the youngsters toiled, as, as Elliot said, the youngsters toiled as the older heads uh, embarrassed for large spells. And, uh, you know, there was a return from Coleman and Baines that kind of restored some pride. And you you, you worry that a lot hangs on the heads of, of Baines and Coleman as, as the fullbacks. And that shouldn't necessarily be the case for any team. Um, and we've said on countless occasions, um, Ashley Williams in particular, it has has been embarrassing. You know, the performances from some of the Everton players uh, have been embarrassing. And unfortunately, some of the youngsters came in uh, with a lot of hope and, and potential. And they've just been let down so much this season. Yeah, and another disappointing thing for Everton was the fact that they were in Euro- Europe. And yeah. uh, I think that's what some people forget. But obviously, Elliot's touched on this. And he said that, that obviously the Europa League campaign was completely shambolic. They were out before the final group game. And then they were elimin- eliminated from both domestic cups by early January. Now, we talk about clubs like Everton. You're not going to win the league. The whole thing that happened with Leicester is a complete one-off, and I just don't see that ever happening again. What you've got to do is do your absolute utmost to try and bring your fans some joy in either the league or the cup. The minute that they saw that the league wasn't going very well is when you should really try and and, and push that team forward in a cup competition, and they had experience there that should have been able to get them through those early rounds. And I think that... I think the last time they won a major trophy was 1995. Yeah, I can't think of right. anything yeah, yeah. since the yeah. uh, the FA Cup final win. And that for a club of that size, for a club that that's now got that much money and and has had so many opportunities to to do well, it's just not good enough. And I, and I think that that's something that some that well, obviously Marco Silva has now been confirmed as the new manager. But if I was him. I would be going all out to take a team far in the cup. You'll get the fans on side straight away. I know that the league is the bread and butter, as I'd said previously. But if you do well in a cup, then you will always go down well with the fans. And that's something that I think that Everton really need to try and and look at for this season. Yeah, I think you know it's it's an interesting one that they didn't beat any of the teams above them this season. And I think what Everton will always look for is certainly the home games to give the big teams a good go as well. The fans really uh, love, you know, they love a good atmosphere at Goodison Park and you have to get them on side and they didn't do that and I think the one saving grace now is they're pretty much back to where they were at the start of last season to a certain extent and you know, I think the supporters, as as Elliot said, there is a, a little bit of optimism there but it's you know, accompanied with that heavy sense of deja vu, and it could just happen exactly the same again. Yeah, that's right. And and when you look at Marco Silva, it's very similar to what happened with Ronald Koeman. He came from a club who he wasn't necessarily expected to do very well with, and obviously we all know what happened at Watford, and he was probably just biding his time yeah. for for um, Sam Allardyce to go. And they will hopefully be able to do something with the squad that that, that they've got there. And you look at the Watford squad that he had, and it wasn't anywhere near as good as the the quality of players that Everton have got at their disposal but I think what they need to do is they need to decide on who they're keeping and who they're getting rid of because they've got an overinflated amount of midfielders in that squad they need to make decisions early and if they are going to get people out then maybe send them out on loan because they signed young players last summer um, the likes of Davy Klassen who barely got a kick and it may be beneficial for them because money's clearly not a, an option um, an issue, send him out to a to a European club, let him get some experience, or even to a lower Premier League club, somebody who's just got promoted, and and see whether he's good enough. Because at the moment, it just seems like they they're willing to throw money at anyone, and eventually 
teams that do that will come unstuck. Yes, uh, as we say, I think there's quite a lot of optimism. Uh, I was optimistic they would break into the top six. Uh, I thought they would finish sixth, and you went with seventh. Uh, so, you know, not a million miles away, but I think when you get to the top of the league now, you know, every place is, is a much bigger deal than those kind of uh, mid to lower places, aren't they? And yeah, it's, it's a shame, really, but. Uh, we go into next season with, with renewed hope for Everton. And that's it for the first part of this top half Premier League season review. Join us after this short break where we will get on to Burnley. Um, maybe it, it takes me one or two games to adapt, but for me it's it, it's not a problem. The one criticism of the French League is it's it's a little bit uh, boring. You know, they... Yeah, and I, I can understand, you know, I watched uh, Lille yesterday, they have 10 men and they're happy to lose one nil. Uh, you know, they they have ten men, and for me, you might as well lose five nil as one nil. And it's just dawned on me that obviously <laughs> my worst nightmares coming true, and I'm, I'm obviously doing this ridiculous French accent. Welcome back to the Sweet Podcast, and we are going to talk about Burnley. Somewhat overachieving Burnley. Yeah, we'll get to my prediction in a minute. <laughs> yes, uh, incredible season, uh, finishing best of the rest, and qualifying for Europe, which. I would suggest not a single person would have predicted that. And they, you know what, they were thinking about the Champions League for a while as well, weren't they? Yeah. They were up there and, and they weren't a million miles off. No, uh, I think it, it kind of got to just after Christmas, I think, and they went without a win in 12. So uh, I think that let them down. But equally, I think that shows how weak the rest of the league were, that they could not win in 12 and not really be caught up too much. Yeah, absolutely right. I think we need to talk about some individuals with Burnley. Yeah. I think that we've uh, we've... We've gone on all season about how brilliant Sean Dyche has been and I think that he deserves every single plaudit that he gets because to get a team of relatively, it's difficult to find the word, but relatively poor Premier League footballers in terms of experience to seventh in the league when you've just lost your supposedly best player in Michael Keane going to Everton and they didn't necessarily reinvest the money in the squad. They just brought the players who were on the periphery in and and they did an absolutely amazing job look at the likes of Nick Pope coming in to replace Tom Heaton everyone thought at that point that Burnley's season was over and it's the same with the likes of James Tarkovsky and and Ben Mee who obviously did such a great job in stepping up in the absence of Michael Keane Pope's going to the World Cup he is and do you know what if you look at the three goalkeepers who are going form wise you would argue that he would probably deserve to be the number one I don't think there's an argument he's he's been unbelievable all season since he's come in and uh, you know you genuinely looked at him at first and thought right he's just finished his shift at the supermarket he's just come in and and he has also grown in confidence as well you know he was fantastic to start with and you imagine that the likes of Sean Dyche and those in and around the club just give you such a boost And, and as you say the players that are on the periphery as well I think they instill the mentality that you know you've got your opportunity now. Go and shine, and 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 they'll, they'll happily bring players in from uh, from other clubs that are, are also on their peripheries as well. Do that, the same. Yeah, absolutely right. And and you look at that situation now with Nick Pope and Tom Heaton, and I want to get your opinion on this because a lot of people have been talking about it. What happens at the start of next season? Are those two goalkeepers going to be happy to stay at the club? and fight it out for the number one shirt or at this stage in Nick Pope's career has he got to be playing week in week out given the season that he had last year I think it's possibly the other way around to be honest I think he may well be the starting keeper and um, I'm not sure how old Heaton is but he's 
potentially got another move left in him where he has to go somewhere else. Uh, but I think you're right. Whatever happens, the decision that's made will potentially put a nose out of joint, and and not in a not in a really negative way because I don't think either of them or the club have got that in them. But like, they're both good enough to play at this level. Clearly, you know, Pope's shown that this this year, and and Heaton's shown that before as well. The, and that's what I mean. Surely. After the season that Nick Pope's just had, he's not going to be happy to go back and sit no, on the bench. No, so no, you're right. with that, with that, but I think that's a really good point because that's where Burnley have got to decide between actually do we do we lose Tom Heaton to to keep Nick Pope because arguably you're going to get more out of Nick Pope in the in the long run in yeah. terms of the, the the years that he's got at the top. But what you do have is uh, a, a cup competition in Europe. You, you know, the, if they can. Uh, get through comfortably and, and they're in the group stages that's a lot of games to be played and you do potentially need to rotate you know you see the top clubs rotate their keepers on a regular basis yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Uh, you, you would imagine they would do that and I've seen Sean Dyche since and they're up for it they're ready to attack Europe and give it a go and you know they I get the impression they think right we're possibly not going to get this opportunity again or certainly not for a long time and it's you know would unlikely to have a season like we've just had and we're, we're probably not going to be up there for cups either so let's have a go let's go for it and I think they'd probably do alright as well and wouldn't it be nice to see a, a team in the Europa League from England actually trying yeah, rather exactly, than yeah. just sending out a bunch of reserves knowing full well that, that you're quite happy to get knocked out and yeah. I don't think that there's any danger that Burnley would go down next season even with the Europa League um, I know it's difficult to, to juggle and, and we've seen teams who've been in that competition struggle previously but I just think that it would be a real um, benefit and, and positive for a team from England to just go and attack that competition and just, just do exactly what they did with, with the Premier League this season. Yes, it's not always the most exciting brand of football. Yes, it's it's very difficult sometimes to play against that club but that might suit them down to the ground because there are a lot of teams tactically who will set up in the same way as Burnley will who, who will be in that Europa League yeah. so who knows they, they, they could completely flop but I reckon they've got at least enough to get out of the group yeah, yeah absolutely I mean look at Leicester in the Champions League you know they just stuck to their principles and other teams find it really difficult because they used to play in uh, more I'd say technically gifted and technically minded teams and, and individuals that that's that's just in their mindset and mentality so yeah who knows but I think what they have got and what they've also brought in this season is um, is, is goals that they didn't really have before and, and Chris Wood's been fantastic since he's come in uh, and Ashley Barnes as well has stepped up and again another one on the periphery before and you, you know you look at the two of those and if I was a defender I, I certainly wouldn't want to play against them you know I'm five foot nothing which is is irrelevant in this case because even if I was six foot something that they would be a handful both of them yeah they are they are battering rams aren't yeah. they and and I think that also Ashley Barnes has got a lot of technical ability and he's yeah. scored some great goals this season and that's all to do with the confidence that Sean Dyche has instilled in him and and you wonder whether at this stage in his career because he was he was linked with Chelsea yeah, yeah, in in yeah. January, and you just wonder whether at this stage in his career he's got enough to try and go up a level. I don't really see there being any point in him leaving Burnley because he's going to play in Europe. He's playing for a team managed by somebody who's probably got all of those players pulling in the same direction. If he goes to a bigger club, all he's going to do is sit on the bench. Yeah, sit sit on the bench and earn more money. And I don't think, again, I think that squad is. Is, is not full of players like that which is is fantastic to see in this day and age in the Premier League just a a, a 
kind of workmanlike attitude across the board and, and obviously Sean Dyche instills that very well. Absolutely right. Anyway, we, we can move on to Arsenal. We don't need to do predictions. Yeah, let's do predictions. We... So I think this was probably the furthest out. Certainly you were and possibly I was with, with any of the clubs on the list and I, I think we could be forgiven for it. Where, where did you have them? Uh, might have had them finishing 19th. 19th. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, 14th. I had a little bit of faith. Certainly they'd stay up. Um... I'm happy to be proved wrong. Yeah, in this case. Uh, you, you won't be the only one, so it could have been a lot worse. It's not like you predicted Man City to finish 10th. That's it, very, so. very true. Where, right. where else can we go now but to North London and a pivotal season in the history of Arsenal Football Club? Yes, it was, and uh, we had we had contact from, uh, from James Stamp, who said if football is, is cyclical, then Arsenal's last game in charge at Arsenal demonstrated this to a T. Um, you know, they... Yeah, it's just just witnessing the same thing over and over again, and you know it was him that couldn't really get them motivated, and um, you know it was a, the kind of odd one-off game here and there, and it was just typical Arsenal throughout the season, and I think with with Wenger leaving uh, and and leaving with the dignity and respect he deserved as well, we have to say uh, in a very very classy way. Um, I think it does signal a, a new dawn for Arsenal, which is exciting. Exciting for the neutrals, exciting for the Arsenal fans that I would say over the last few years that they've, they've kind of lost. Um, and, you know, you just you wonder what's going to happen because in our lifetime, we've not really experienced Arsenal without Arsene Wenger. Yeah, and I know that they've, they've made the change and they've made the change early, bringing Unai Emery in. And he's obviously done incredible things in Spain and then went to PSG and it's not worked out for him there and I know that he's won the league but equally he lost the league to to a team in Monaco who yep. basically just had a, a lot of young players who who turned over a, a team worth millions and you just wonder with Arsenal whether it's a really good move for Emery because it's a little bit out of the spotlight they're not expected to win the league next year they're not expected to challenge for, for, for honours particularly but I think for an Arsenal fan next season a signal of success would be getting into the top four which is something that you associated with Arsene Menger throughout the whole time that he was there and I think that will be key priority number one for for, for Emery is to, to, to get them back where they certainly feel like they belong because all the time that Tottenham continue to progress that's going to do absolutely nothing to help Arsenal as a club and I think what they have in their in their locker is actually they've got a, a good team as it stands. You know they could do with some investment, but the platform is there to build from. And you know I don't think there is a huge rebuilding job. They brought in a, a striker who could potentially be the top scorer in the league next year. You know if, if the service is if right he... and it works, Aubameyang is one of the best strikers in the world. So they've already addressed that issue. There are other issues that you would say Arsenal should have addressed a number of years ago that they haven't done. But potentially this signal of change is, is something that addresses those and, and uh, you know, they don't make the simple mistakes that seem to be the things that catch them out every year. Yeah, that's right. One thing that James also points out is, is the away form. And yeah. um, he said that it was obviously relegation level. And, and that's true. They didn't yeah. win an away game up until the last day at Huddersfield after Christmas. And you can't hope to compete at the top. And it's surprising, really, to, to to consider that they were still able to finish sixth when that was the 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 level of their performance yeah. away from home in the in the second half of the season. Now, the, the the main thing from from an Arsenal point of view is is the defense and and also the probably the 
defensive midfielder position because since Granit Xhaka's gone in there, he's not done enough. Um, I'm I'm honestly not too sure that they ever really replaced Patrick Vieira. No. I, I struggle to think of anybody who's had the same impact on 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 a on a side in that position for Arsenal for a long time, and and they need to make sure that they do their transfer business early. I personally think they need to bring in two central defenders. I don't think that going into next season with the likes of Mustafi, Chambers, Koscielny even, has looked yep. shaky at times. And and we talk about it all the time. You can score as many goals as you want, but if you are struggling at the back, then you're not going to finish in the top four. And you look at the the goalkeepers. It was, it was a point that we mentioned about two-thirds of the way into the season. And we talked about David De Gea. We talked about Hugo Lloris. We talked about Edison at, at, at um, Manchester City as well. And we also then talked about Liverpool and we talked about Arsenal. And as much as Petr Cech has been a very good goalkeeper for years and years and years, I'm still not sure that he's the an- it, that, that he's the answer long term. Absolutely. I think you know the, the point you make about Vieira, as well as his presence in, in midfield and on the pitch, it's leaders. You know, Arsenal have lacked a, a number of leaders, whether it, even just one. You know, they, they've always had that for, you know, certainly since the 90s. They had the, the back four uh, that then went into Vieira and Omri, etc. And over the last kind of three, four, five years, they, they've massively lacked that. And, you know, as, as I said, it's it's the silly mistakes that's kind of letting them down. And, and that's where you get the fans not on side as well. And, you know, we're starting to see empty seats in the Emirates. People who've paid arguably the most money out of any club to go and watch their team over a season not turning up because they just don't want to watch it anymore and I think you know James is completely right saying that just some of the basics you know they've brought in Emery they've brought in Aubameyang hopefully there's some defending uh, to be worked on over the summer um, and, and the pride can be restored and, and you know he quips at the end that maybe even Arsenal TV will cease to exist fam yeah, well, Just, which would be an absolute dream come true, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I think that that's the that's the issue from from their point of view is that all they ever did was talk about how much they wanted Arsene Wenger out of the club, and now he's gone. What's the who are they going to move on to? It, it, it may just be a case of of targeting different players. But if Arsenal continue their away form as they were towards the end of last season, then they're going to have a lot of players to target when it comes to the next season. And we've talked about how pivotal the summer can be for certain clubs, and obviously this is the biggest upheaval that Arsenal have had in yeah. in. 20 odd years and, and, and it, it will be fascinating when you look at what happened at Manchester United after Sir Alex Ferguson left there to see what's going to happen at Arsenal and, and whether actually they would have been better almost going for somebody who who didn't come with a reputation this time and then giving somebody like Emery the chance or maybe they're, they're quite happy knowing that if he does struggle they can bring somebody else in and, and, and try and get the fans on side that way. Yeah and I think that, you know the biggest difference with Arsenal is that really the only way is up you know, you you look at how bad the last few years have been, particularly this season. In theory, it shouldn't get that much worse, if any worse at all. So, you know, they they will still be a major powerhouse in terms of what they can attract and and the amount of money they're able to spend as well. And you know, you, you look at their season, you think they've managed to get to a cup final, and it was arguably probably the worst cup final performance you'll see from any club. So, yeah. you know, they've they've got there, they've got to a point, and they've just kind of stopped and. Yeah, you know, you look at the likes of Liverpool and Spurs who've kicked on over the last couple of years, and it's still possible to do. It doesn't require a huge amount of work. So, I, I think it's it's going to be a really interesting summer, as you say, and a, a different approach to Arsenal over the summer that that we're not used to. So, yeah, we'll look forward to it. And predictions? Yeah, I, I thought they'd have a better season than than before. I, I think I had my optimistic head on that. Again, it 
can't get any worse and, and it kind of did so I went with third place yeah I had them down in fifth which was obviously not too far from where they finished but I, I think that one other thing for Arsenal next season they've got to consider how to balance the Europa League yeah. with playing on Sundays in the Premier League because that's something that they, they they dealt with quite well initially but then as soon as injuries started to hit they were having to use the same players in both squads and you saw how stretched it became and that that's where playing away games after those Europa League games became a bit of a struggle so they need to try and work on, on what their strategy is going to be for that and, and it may be a competition that they just say do you know what we're not bothered about it we're going to concentrate fully on the league yes and another club down there in the Europa League is Chelsea uh, they finished fifth and we've had uh, contact from Peter Wollaston who um, I think very much the same as us really it's been a very up and down season and um, he said you know the club is in in somewhat of turmoil at the moment especially for the players and you know there's probably players in there as well and, and Peter will see that watching Chelsea every week that don't necessarily look overly committed to the club and you, you see everything that happens off the pitch as well and you know there is something drastically wrong with that club and, and it, it's, it's worrying times for them I'd say. Yeah and I think Gary Cahill's comments were, were very telling after the uh, the FA Cup final win. It, the reporter who interviewed him on the pitch after the game said to him look Conte's obviously won this he, he, he came and won the Premier League in his first season in charge do you want him to stay? And it was it would have been very easy then for Gary Cahill to just say yes, all of the players are behind yeah. the manager and, and we want him to stay. But the fact that it, he basically said it doesn't matter who the manager is, we will give a hundred percent, and that is telling. And and I would imagine that as as a leader in that group, he will represent the majority of the players in that dressing room. And all the time that there's this disconnect between the players, the managers, it becomes a wider gap between the top four and and and, and the other sides. And you, you've seen it at clubs previously where off-the-pitch issues have had so much of an impact on what goes on on the field and Chelsea need to make decisions early they need to decide what they want to do and at the moment the longer it rumbles on the the more uncertainty that that they're going to have to deal with and they're almost starting the season behind pretty much all the other clubs despite the fact that obviously everybody starts on, on on the same points it's just you would expect for a club who's been there and done it at the top for so long they would have a much better way of dealing with these sort of things yeah, I think it's going to be another interest in, in summer in terms of uh, players coming in and going out. And, you know, Peter said he'd hate and Hazard to go, which obviously, you know, would be probably the worst thing possible for Chelsea at the moment. And wouldn't want William to go either. And, you know, William himself comes on, makes fantastic performances in cup competitions, but seems to be overlooked. And again, you wonder whether a new manager comes in and, and changes that or whether actually, you know, the, there's deeper line issues there but you know we'll not know the answer to that until someone does come in but there's also the return of the, the loanees and, and I think Peter makes a really good point here especially yeah. on somebody like um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek yeah. who is going obviously, to the World Cup which yeah, is nuts we, we've obviously seen him make a real impact at Crystal Palace there and you just wonder whether he would have been better served staying at Chelsea yeah. because the performances of, of Bakayoko in particular this season have been really disappointing for them and you've got a ready-made central midfielder who can can basically play anywhere across the midfield and he's come up through your academy, he knows the style of football that you play but then you replace him by spending God knows how much on somebody who's who's had one good season in France and yeah. I think that Chelsea could, could do a lot with the amount of talent that they've got coming through but they need to have the right manager there Conte's complaints were always about the fact that they never spent enough in the transfer market they would never go for these big names 
when you are farming youth products year in year out who are winning trophies at that level surely one or two have got to be good enough for the first team yeah you, you're right and you know it's it's amazing that my main complaint in the start of the season was I, I was worried about their lack of squad depth and you know actually when you put it all on paper they've probably got one of the biggest squads in the league but uh, the reality is that they farm out 40 odd players every year and they end up with kind of less than 20 to work with so um you know that was the worry and i think when they lost matic and costa who were instrumental when they won the league and you know big characters within that club as well and you know replaced them with the likes of bakayoko and, and Morata, who's had varying degrees of success through the season and, and obviously they recognized that issue with bringing Giroud in um but you know they've got the likes of batchway out who's done fantastic over in germany so he comes back as well and, and what happens there and you just it, the, there's again that excitement with Chelsea but there's also so many issues that it just seems to be tainted all of the time yeah and when we look at the predictions obviously they, they won the Premier League the season before last so I was of the opinion that they were going to do okay I didn't think that they were going to win it but I thought that you've still got the nucleus of a squad who who did so well this, the season before so I had them finishing third and, and to finish fifth is, is, is just a complete failure on their part. The fact that they're out of the Champions League will mean huge, a huge difference in terms of the wage budget that they'll have to deal with for players coming in. Eden Hazard's not going to want to play in the Europa League, let's be honest. No. And I think you were much more realistic with your um, prediction. You had them finishing in seventh. And I think I sort of scoffed at it at the time. I, th- I, I, I was quite surprised that you thought that a team could could drop so far from, from winning it. But obviously, you talk about the big personalities and, and the fact that the manager at some points has seemed a little bit unhinged as, as probably combined to see Chelsea where they are. Yeah, you know, they, they do have a good enough squad to compete still and you look at, generally, you look at the players on the bench or not on the bench even and you think they would be in many other teams' first teams. So, it, again, they've got a very good nucleus to start with next season but there's a hell of a lot to sort out behind the scenes. So, again, another very interesting one to look at. Absolutely right. That is all. We are heading for the top four after this break, so please join us then. Sorry, guys. I, I was going to, you know, kick it up the other end and just put one right in their fucking goal hole, but no dice. <laughs> Welcome back to the third part of this week's Sweeper podcast, and it's time for the top four. And kicking us off, it is the aforementioned boys from Merseyside, Liverpool. Yes, Liverpool have had a cracking season with a lot of action-packed games. And, you know, we know what we've come to expect from Liverpool very early on this season. They have played some fantastic football and uh, particularly the front three have been phenomenal. Uh, We've already spoken about Mohamed Salah and the impact that losing him has. Um, But I think we have to talk about the impact that having him has. And he's been an absolute revelation. And um, as, as Stephen Brandt says, you know, someone who was effectively written off um, when they brought him in from Roma, given the fact that um, Chelsea had let him go before and, and Mourinho didn't rate him. Um, we've seen other players that Mourinho didn't rate come back and, and you know, do a fantastic job for their clubs. And y- you just look at that, that front three and just think on their day they could beat absolutely anyone and that's why they got to the Champions League final and that's why they've qualified the Champions League again. Yeah, absolutely right. But what we, we have to talk about in, in terms of across the season is the defensive frailties which yep. led them to not going any further than than where they did. And I think the Champions League is one of these forgiving competitions where you can almost rely on, on having an attacking team. You look at the likes of Real Madrid, they've never been 
brilliant at the back, but they've always had enough going forward. They've they've always had that firepower to ensure that they're able to get through to the next round. And the minute it goes to two legs, you, you, you get to a stage where you can almost be reliant on a decent home performance where those front three can go and cause havoc. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what I would say is, though, obviously Virgil van Dijk comes in, steadies the ship a little bit. And I think you look at the fullbacks in terms of individual performances throughout the season. Um, Andy Robertson came in at left back from uh, Moreno, who was always shaky, always a liability. And Alex, uh, Alexander Arnold, likewise, on the right hand side. And the two of those have been as, as good as any player in that squad. Yeah, absolutely right. And And you look at the. The way that Klopp seems to bring players on is, is is particularly pleasing because you've got a lot of managers who will go into a team and they will look at players who've who've come in and, and sometimes they just don't fancy them and, and rather than trying to work and develop those players they will just try and sign somebody else and that's where we see so many players who've been tipped for the top end up at either clubs outside the Premier League or clubs further down the Premier League and just never seem to reach their potential and that's something that Liverpool need to really try and build on because at some stage, you would imagine Salah's going to go. I don't yeah. think it'll be next season, but what you've also got to consider is the fact that as good as Liverpool were this season, they finished 25 points behind Manchester City, and that's with a player who scored a record amount of Premier League goals yeah. um, and three attackers who've been absolutely unbelievable. But then... <laughs> all the time that you are that far behind another team you, you you just wonder how easy it's going to be to try and bridge that gap and how many players you're going to have to bring in obviously they've made moves already and I think that's really pleasing from their point of view we talked all season about the fact that they need a defensive midfielder yeah. and we also talked about Naby Keita and the fact that he was going to come in and, and yes he can do a job there but he's far more of an attacking talent and, and he would be wasted by trying to sit him in front of the back four I think the signing of Fabinho is a really intelligent one and I think that he comes with a very similar amount of um, recommendation as, as Bakayoko did. Obviously come from the same club, similar position and the fact that Bakayoko left was, was Fabinho's real chance in that, that, that side and he seized it this season. Um, but they need to sort the goalkeeping situation out. Yeah, they do. I think, you know, if you look at the the results throughout the season, the the draws is quite telling. You know, they've had 12 draws, which is uh, more than anyone but Burnley in the, the top half. So, you know, there's obviously all of that attacking talent, all of the goals they've scored, they're still leaky. Whether that's the defence or whether that's the goalkeeper, I would imagine it's a combination of the two. And um, again, you look back at the kind of successful teams of Liverpool over the last kind of 15, 20 years, and it has been when they've had a good goalkeeper who has, has very much steadied the ship. But equally, you know, you look at the likes of Rayner and Dudek, they still had errors in the locker as well. It's something they've never quite seemed to sort out, and I don't understand what the issue is. But then I think what we have to consider is what are we gauging Liverpool on? Are we gauging them as a team who are going to win the Premier League, or are we gauging them as a team who are going to challenge in both domestic and European Cups? Because Liverpool haven't won the league since it's been the Premier League. Their last victory came in the 80s, and when yeah. you look at a team who is challenging, you look at all the other teams in the top six... Tottenham aside they've all won the league within the last 20 years and yes they've had a great season but like we say they've finished fourth and is that a great season for a club that size is that a great season for a manager who's who's done so much for that football club or actually is it as good as they were previously is that what they were under Brendan Rodgers is a different style of football 
enough to appease the fans when you continually finish a long way off that that top spot yeah I think you're right and you know it's going to be an interesting one with Klopp over the next season or two as well and you know can he take this team any further and you you worry that they're probably not going to reach the same height certainly not reaching another Champions League final I think that would be a, a fantastic achievement but very very difficult one and again in the league you know they're, they're making the right noises with some of the, the, the signings they're making but there is still work to do and, and it, do you think Klopp is still the right man to take them on that, that journey? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I don't, I don't see where else he would go from here. I know he's been linked with the Real Madrid job, but I think that's too early for him. I'm not sure that you can go to a club like Real Madrid unless you've really done something domestically elsewhere. Yep. And I know that he did a lot for Dortmund, and I know that he won the league with them and he got them to the, to the Champions League final. But I think that he needs to achieve something in England before he makes that step. And I think that that motivation for for Jurgen Klopp will be enough. For, for for the time being to continue to push Liverpool for, forward but what I would say is they need to be challenging for second place next season I don't expect them to go and win the league because I, I do think, think that Manchester City are going to be too strong again yep. but they need to be challenging there was a point where they were second there was a point where they were really pushing Manchester United and then they, they fell away towards the end of the season and I understand that that is, is likely because of the fact they had the run of the Champions League and it, and it sort of came at the same time but there were still too many performances where they didn't turn the performance into the right result and it's no good dominating a team for 90 minutes if you don't come out with the three points and that's what Manchester City and even Manchester United to a degree last season were really good at and, and Liverpool need to take a page out of their books because both those clubs will continue to strengthen in the summer in yep. the same way that Liverpool have done so they need to make sure that their gap doesn't widen even further. Still did better than we thought they would though didn't they? Yes, yes they did um, I had them in sixth and you had them in fifth. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they did well to get into the Champions League, clearly, on uh, on our beliefs. Another team who had another good season, Tottenham Hotspur, obviously finishing in third. And um, I think that a lot was made in the summer about the fact that they were playing at Wembley and, uh, obviously, how would they cope with the move away from White Hart Lane. But, obviously, the, the, the squad was still there. They had players who've probably played quite a lot of games at Wembley before, and I think that Pochettino probably took a really positive approach by doing all that he did at the training ground to make it feel as much as 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 they could like they were playing at Wembley on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it it took them a few games to get into their stride, but um you know, they were still fantastic away from home as well. They've been uh fairly consistent throughout the season really and you know, you it, it's the same kind of issues with Spurs really that that you have problems with because it's you haven't won a trophy again. Yes, you've consistently qualified for the Champions League, which is fantastic. Um, but whilst you're only doing that, there's so much speculation around your manager, your players. And obviously, they're going into the new stadium next year, which is, is fantastic. And it, it looks great. And I think, you know, that's obviously a new dawn for them where they can take what they've already got and built and, and build on it even further. And the worry is that actually something might get stripped away from them and you you wonder how many it's going to take for them to kind of crumble and go backwards again like they did you know, over the last kind of 10 years or so. Yeah, that's right. I think that a trophy would be something that Tottenham could really hang the hat on. I think that I, I almost said the opposite about a month ago when I said that as a Tottenham fan, if you're getting in the Champions League positions every year, then you're happy. And I think that's right. I think that they, at this stage prior to the, the move into the new stadium have probably been punching above the weight a little bit. Yeah. I know that they've obviously 
had seasons where they've where they've really struggled in the Premier League. But I would almost say that they're a similar size club to somebody like Everton, and I would expect them to be to be fighting out with them. But Pochettino's taken them to another level, and 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 it's yet to be seen what's going to happen next season. But I would imagine that if they were able to cope as well as they have done with playing at Wembley this season, then you would expect them to to be able to to almost perform as well, if not better, when they're back at White Hart Lane. The the problem that Tottenham had this season was when Harry Kane was injured, they didn't have the firepower which they seemed to have earlier in the season. Son was was brilliant at times. Christian Eriksen had a really good season, and Dele Alli was quiet, but he was still able to chip in as and when they needed him. But the problem that Tottenham have had for for the past two seasons is that lack of a replacement for Harry Kane, and we saw it in Vincent Janssen. It didn't work with him. Obviously, um, Lorente came in this season from Swansea, and and it didn't really work for him either, other than that one game in the FA Cup. And that's that's the the difficulty when you play the formation that Tottenham play. You always know that Harry Kane's going to start in that yeah. that that forward position. And and do you go to the football club knowing that his injury record's not the best and hoping to seize on an opportunity when? Realistically, whenever he's fit, he's going to come straight back into that team. That's it. It's irrelevant if you take your opportunities, isn't it? You could almost score every single game while you're in there, and you're going to be back out again, which is a shame. But yeah, you know, I think you have to look at what they do have, and and they have a fantastic defence. And I think when you look at the fact that two of their first choice defenders have been pretty much absent for most of the season, in Rose and Alderweireld they've still got the third best defensive record in the league, which I think has probably been overlooked a little bit at times, given the fact that the football they've played, and, and as you say, some of those individuals have, have had some fantastic performances going forward. Um, but they, they look solid and very, very organised as well. And you think that, again, if, if they can just build on that platform and, again, in the, in the cup competitions, that should be your bread and butter to just sit there and, and win the games. And actually, it seems to be them kind of self-imploding. Uh, Champions League against Juventus against Manchester United in the FA Cup as well yeah. they're, they're architects of their own downfall which is the frustrating thing with Spurs because they are actually good enough to be winning these competitions or at least going deeper. Yeah and one of the things that people have said about Pochettino over the years is that he has a real lack of um, flexibility when it comes to altering things in, in competitions where he might not necessarily think they need as much focus as the Premier League and <laughs> It was so frustrating as a neutral to watch the game against Juventus because they were streaks ahead in both games. Yeah. I think Juventus were the better team for a five-minute period, but at that level, you can't afford to switch off. And I think that this is where Pochettino, if he's going to go to the next level as a manager, he needs to be making these big decisions a lot quicker. He allowed the game to get away from them rather than seeing what was what was bubbling and, and, and bringing somebody in and, and that's the problem with Tottenham in these big games they don't seem to be able to get over the line and whether it's a mentality thing whether it's an experience thing obviously we'll see um, they need to ensure that in the summer if they do let Christian Eriksen go and he's been linked heavily with Barcelona to replace Andreas Iniesta then they replace him with somebody who's just as good because as soon as you start replacing them with players who have the potential to be as good that's where you want a slippery slope because Pochettino's great at development, but he needs time to do it. He's not the kind of guy who can do it immediately, and and he will continue to get linked to big jobs. But similar to Klopp, until he wins something, I think it's difficult to to really see him at that level. Yeah, I I would say the only kind of semi argument to that is that these jobs are coming up, and you know you might only get offered that job once in your lifetime, and if they're running out of candidates 
or maybe you know they might someone like Real Madrid might want Pochettino and might look at him and think that's exactly what we want at the moment and uh, or, or Klopp or whoever it is and if they come in is that your once in a lifetime opportunity that you can't turn down and for Tottenham uh, probably I'd say probably more so than Liverpool at the moment they need Pochettino to be there and stay there and I, I worry if he was to go then potentially the self implosion that happens every now and again could become a, a much wider part of the problem yeah I think think you're uh, you're absolutely right and we were almost right with our predictions weren't we we yeah. both went for fourth place for Tottenham and I think if you'd have offered to their fans at the start of the season that they were finishing the top four given the fact that they were playing at Wembley they would have absolutely bitten your hand off so um, another solid season like we say but to go to the next level that's the that's the really hard thing in the Premier League isn't it it is and Manchester United we've, we've had contact from Chris Platt who I think sums it up for most Manchester United fans and, and this is it's crazy to say that they've finished second but overall it's a fairly disappointing season in their eyes and you know second in the league and FA Cup looks looks fairly successful but I think he pinpoints and, and most of the fans would do as well the actual performances when you look at it and dig down into it it's, it's boring it's negative and you know sometimes they should have just took the game by the scruff of the neck and gone at teams and we've kind of said most weeks to be honest that it's just been frustrating to watch because they've either not come out the blocks or they've took the lead early on and, and just sat back on it and it is really frustrating and I think the the problem that you've got is when you've got Manchester City playing the sort of football that they're playing it just over exaggerates the point yeah. even more yeah, and yeah. Um, the, the, the problem that United have got is if they were winning the league and playing bad football then the fans probably wouldn't mind as much yeah. but the, the problem is that when you're constantly finishing second in the league and you've got a team who are just miles ahead in terms of pretty much every area other than probably the goalkeeper you will continue to get the the negativity from the media from the fans and and Chris goes on to say that the fans are split on Mourinho and that he needs to get them back on side by obviously trying to resolve the the Paul Popper issue signing another marquee player and and ultimately trying to get close to Manchester City but it's easier said than done yeah it is and I think you know the marquee player is the key point I think uh, even Chris said it, it does sound ridiculous but that's what Manchester United are they, they're this uh, club that has to bring in the, the best players uh, to unfortunately given the success they've had in recent years over the last kind of 20 years or so that's what the fans need to get excited about now that's how they get excited and um, you know Mourinho if he's not going to play good football at least bring someone in to get them excited again and that's what happened with Pogba and he's almost uh, put the reins on Pogba this year and, and that's frustrated the fans by no, you know it, it shouldn't be happening at all and you look at his mentality as well I think the fact that he effectively conceded the league in December when they lost at home to Manchester yeah. City says everything I mean as a player your manager comes out and, and says that what motivation are you going to have to go out and try and win the next game to, to, to try and get close to them I think that everybody probably knew it was over but as a fan do you want the manager of arguably the biggest football club in the world coming out and saying something like that it, it's just it's just all wrong on every level and, and the way that he's had this spiky relationship with the media in England over the years it, it, it's just making him look more like a, a spoiled brat when it comes to that sort of approach because he he isn't able to field the questions that he doesn't like and, and that's the problem he doesn't have an honest approach where he can say do you know what? Maybe maybe I did get it wrong tactically today. Maybe I didn't play the right formation. Maybe I didn't pick the right players. Whereas others are quite happy to hold their hands up in that situation. I think that you would get more fans on board. As for the football, 
is he going to change? No, I don't think he's going to change. And, you know, as, as disappointing as a season without any trophies is, um, it, it's another season where they've improved their league position, points total, total goals, conceded less goals than before. So there's definite progress. And it, it's frustrating because you have to balance that out with the performances as well. And, you, you know, you look at the clubs behind Manchester United, would they rather be higher at the table playing that sort of football or not? And also, even with all those stats there, you've won nothing last season where all of those stats were worse you won two yeah. trophies yeah, yeah. and, and right. that's all that those fans will care about so I agree with you there, there is progress in, in terms of what they've done within certain margins but nobody will remember those come the start of next season it will be the fact that it was a trophyless season and, and they they finished a long way behind the, the out and out winner yeah, and you know, Chris finishes by saying season ticket renewed and he's looking forward to next season already. I really hope for his sake and all the other fans that Jose doesn't suck that optimism out of them but within the kind of first three or four games and actually we do see a title challenge from Manchester United because I agree with you, I think Manchester City will be uh, will be up there and you know possibly not as successful as this year but they need that challenge and realistically Manchester United are the ones to do that and you know for the benefit of football as a whole it would be fantastic to see particularly as local rivals absolutely well. right and we we were spot on weren't we with yes. our predictions we both had them finishing second and and obviously that's what happened and we we talking of predictions we both had Manchester City to finish top and they did not disappoint no uh, I mean there's not really that much we can say we, we've said time and time again that we're kind of running out of superlatives and they blew absolutely everyone away and uh, to have a 22 game unbeaten run including 18 consecutive wins with a final record points haul and record goals is is fantastic and um, it, the football they've played as well it's not just they've ground out the results the football they've played has been f- phenomenal to watch and it's been despite my doubts about Guardiola to be honest that he would be able to do it in England with a team like Manchester City he's got them playing football the way that he wants to play football and to be able to watch that develop over time has been uh, amazing for me to watch that yeah absolutely right and uh, thank you to Tom Ritchie who got in touch and he said having followed Manchester City for over 50 years um, he's witnessed the good the bad and the ugly and that was just a warm-up <laughs> to the main event. And and this season will go down as possibly the greatest league season ever witnessed in the English game. Yep. Uh, more records broken than uh, fire sale at HMV. A domination of the game that will be unsurpassed in his lifetime. And the most beautiful football scene since Brazil 1970. And and there are, there are certain points there that you absolutely can't disagree with. They've, like you said, blown teams away. And I, I struggle to, to think of of a more dominant force in in English football in in a single season for for a long long time. Again, I mean, as Tom says, uh, he doubts if anyone will ever replicate that season again. And you know, even from within the club, they must be looking at that and thinking, surely we can't do that again. No. Um, but I think what would be key for Manchester City is keeping the momentum up in terms of winning trophies. It'd be amazing to see them in Europe doing what they've done in the league this year and unfortunately they came up against the one club they couldn't seem to beat this year and that was in Liverpool and you wonder if they were kept apart in the draw whether actually they would have ended up meeting each other in the final but they will strengthen still they still have a lot of money to spend and uh, I would imagine there will be some minor gaps that once 
that want to be plugged um and you know they'll be linked with various different people and i think if anything if they can just make that squad stronger um keep the same ethos and mentality avoid a few injuries as well uh there's no reason why they couldn't get to the heights of this year be interested to see yeah i w- i would be very interested to see whether they make a change in the the um spot that claudio bravo currently holds because i think if you take edison out of that team then you would really struggle to go through even two or three months of a season with with Bravo. He's looked really, really poor when he's come in. And I know that he was brought into that football club because of the way that he was able to play out from the back. But I think they need a stronger goalkeeper to to almost continue to push Edison on because I'm not sure that Bravo can do that. And I think that Tom makes a really good point as well when he says that it's difficult to sum up how good it was. Um, The fact that the media weren't able to hand the Manager of the Year award to anyone other than Guardiola proves that he must have got something right because we've seen throughout the si- the seasons that, that Manchester City have done really well that a lot of their players haven't made it into the team of the year they've, they've, they've not won the accolades that you thought that they would have done and I know that we we talked about the fact that De Bruyne was was probably rightfully relegated into second place in the in the player of the season awards but that's all down to the fact that Manchester City are more of a team than the likes of Liverpool who who relied very heavily on Salah and, and, and that just says everything that you really need to know about Manchester City this year nobody will ever consider many of their players better than the others because every single one of them had a part to play this season and I, I know that we talked a lot early in the season about how we didn't think that they could sustain it and I think that they've surprised absolutely everyone I don't think that anyone other than Manchester United fans would begrudge them the last minute goal that they scored against Southampton yep. to get the 100 points because it was completely deserved and it, it was just a gloss that really finished off what was a magnificent season from, from start to finish. Yeah, and you know, as, as you said before, we both predicted they would finish first and as you've just said, we'd never have predicted that it would end up like that and it's been an absolute joy to behold. And that that's it. That's the end of the Premier League. That's the end done. of the season. Um, I No doubt you're glad to see the end of the season oh in the back of it as God, a Southampton yes. fan. Um, but it it has been fantastic. There's been so much narrative throughout the season, and to see uh, this Manchester City side, who, as as Tom said, you know they've even got their own name now, the Centurions. They're like, you know, Arsenal's Invincibles. But there's something that we'll never forget, having watched football for all our lives, and will continue to do so. We'll never forget this season for their performance. Absolutely right. I think we've been very lucky with with the quality that we've seen in the Premier League this season, and I, for one, am incredibly excited about next season, as as I'm sure you will be once you get over the yeah. the heartache of last week. And and I think that we're in a position now where the Premier League's almost got its its mojo back in a yeah. way because I think English football certainly lost its way in Europe over the last couple of years and it's nice to see English teams challenging not only in European competition but also to try and break records domestically because it shows that things are moving forward in the English game and um, yeah I, I just hope the Southampton are a lot better next season than they were this year uh, but yeah that's it season over one thing left to do however yeah join us after the break for the quiz see how excited I am already Hey, yo, R. Kelly, what's up, man? You've been spending a lot of time with this girl, man. I don't know, man. She just got quiz. Pop it up a little more. Hey, girl, I gotta let you know that you got that quiz. Quiz. Baby. Quiz. Girl, you got that quiz. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast. And before we get to the quiz, 
we're going to talk England. We are going to talk England, and as we said earlier, we've just watched a fairly abject, boring, friendly, really. Um, but it was a warm-up game for the World Cup that's obviously starting in a couple of weeks' time, and England took on Nigeria, 2-1 win. Uh, I think we've got to be happy with the performance. Um, uh, you know, a, a, certainly a lively opening half, and um, a second half that saw us peg back a little bit, really. Yeah, and I think that it was a useful exercise for Gareth Southgate yeah. to to almost look at the nucleus of, of, of his starting lineup for that first game because the first two games in the group will be completely different to the third game and um, it's good to play teams of a similar sort of level to, to the two that we'll, be, that we'll be playing initially and I thought Nigeria did well. I thought that um, there were a couple of standout performers for them. John Obi mckell rolling back the years in central midfield yeah. and um, from an England point of view, yeah, it's pleasing. I think that any any win is, is, is a good yep. one in the build up there were no injuries which is always a bonus as well and they will move on to the mighty city of Leeds on Thursday night and that's their final warm up and then they're, they're there they're, they're on the plane to Russia I'm getting a little bit excited now and I don't know whether that's excitement about England or just, just more football I think it's probably football I need to get last weekend out of my head um, it, you know looking at Wembley earlier it brought back some good some good memories from last weekend and probably a lot more bad memories but uh, now I'm very much looking forward to it and I think one of the things we're looking forward to as well is uh, we get the opportunity to talk about it a little bit as well. We do we? indeed, yeah. It's not something that we talk about too often in international football other than in England qualifiers and, and that sort of thing. So to to actually be able to, to do our first international tournament is going to be really exciting and we hope that lots of you will join us on the uh, on the build-up and then, then throughout the, the weeks of the tournament itself. Yeah, get in touch on Twitter at The Sweep Pod, Instagram and Facebook, The Sweep Podcast. Email us at sweeppodcast at gmail.com and as ever, get on SoundCloud and iTunes. Ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they are all welcome. And I I would just like to say, get in touch with us and hound us because I think some of our knowledge of some of these countries is going to be fairly substandard. You know, we don't claim to know everything about football and, and everyone. So it's going to be uh, an interesting one to, to listen to us watching the World Cup as well, I think. Yeah, and try and get in the... Uh pronunciation of some of the yeah. names right as well but i would just like to take this moment to say thank you to everyone who's contributed to the last two shows for getting in touch and sending in your reviews of your teams because without them it would have been just our opinions and that's not what the show's all about it's about us talking to, to you guys so please continue to do that in the uh, in the world cup shows yep. and also in the run-up to the new season because it, it's it's what we're all about it's it's something that we've really enjoyed doing so so yeah big thank you to all of you for for taking the time out and getting in touch should we quiz? Let's quiz. Are we tossing a coin for who goes first? or uh... Uh, We could do if I had a coin. So we'll go iPhone top or bottom. Okay, I'm going to go iPhone top. iPhone top is correct. Do you want to go first or second? I will go second. So you're going to go second. And I'll just remind you of the scores. You are winning 40 to 38. So you've got a two-point lead. With five points available. This is the last quiz of the season. To so... be crowned the yeah. inaugural... The Sweeper Podcast Football Genius 2017-2018. And unfortunately, there's no prize other than pride. Okay, well, one of us will be proud as punch in about five minutes' time. I'm going to kick you off, Mitch. Yeah. And uh, my first club was Newcastle because they finished 10th. And I want you to tell me which Newcastle player had the most bookings last season. Oh, I would imagine they've got a fairly dreadful record. I'll go with, I'll go with Shelby. 
John Joe Shelby is incorrect. Is it? The correct answer was Isaac Hayden with seven bookings. Of course it was. We'd all it's a hard one though. Him. It's a hard one. The bookings category is not an easy one, so that's uh, that's one. Yes, it is a tough one. Uh, but we'll move on to Leicester for your question. And I would like to know top goal scorer. No, assists. See, you would you would expect it to be somebody like Riyad Mahrez. Um, uh, and I'm there's probably not many less selfish players in the Premier League than someone like Okazaki. Um, He's got a smile on his face. He has. I'm going to have to stick with it. I'll go with Rian Mahrez. Correct. Got 10. I I was struggling to to break down some questions, so as soon as I put him in for assists, I thought I was going to struggle there. But uh, yes, on to the next one. You take another point off I do, but equally the assist category is one of the easier ones. My next team that I had in the table were Everton. I want you to tell me who got the most assists for Everton this season. While you're thinking, um, I will give you a clue. Yeah. This man got six assists across the season, which is not a great record and is probably why they were struggling early on. Yeah, it's not a great record at all. Um, I think you take away some of their creative players throughout the season, really. You look at Sigurdsson didn't play a huge amount. Baines and Coleman as well didn't play a huge amount. Rooney was in and out as well. I will go with. I have to go with Sigurdsson. Really, it's not. It's no, not. it's a, it's a it's a tough one. It was Dominic Calvert Lewin. You've with you've six nailed assists. Me there, haven't you? You've absolutely nailed me. Okay, fair enough. Okay, we move on to Burnley. Burnley. Yes, I would like to know who's hit the woodwork the most times. Who has hit the woodwork for Burnley the most times? Ashley Barnes. Incorrect. It's Johan Berg Goodmanson. Of course it is. Three times. We will move straight on. Your next question is on Liverpool. No, it's not. It's on Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who is the top scorer for Arsenal this season. Oh, good question. Did Aubameyang score enough goals? I will say no and punt for Lacazette. Is correct with Good. 14 Premier League goals. I bet a bant- no, no, he probably didn't score double I figures. I think he probably got about eight, didn't yeah. he? Okay, right, I'll take that as a point finally. Okay, so I am moving you on to Chelsea and I'm going to know who their top scorer was. Um, Nobody did particularly brilliantly in terms of goal scoring for Chelsea did they Um, I I would imagine that it's going to be one of Morata and Hazard although Willian got a few as well didn't he Um, I will go with Morata it's Hazard was it yep one ahead of Morata I even made that note because I thought that's where he would go the obvious players wasn't it your next question Mitch is on Liverpool yep I'm sure they finished fourth so I want to know who had the most passes for Liverpool last season? Um, and I'll give you a clue on this one. This player had over a thousand more passes than any other Liverpool player last God, season. That's a lot of passes. That is a lot of passes. It sh- it's surely got to be the five-yard pass master, Jordan Henderson. Is correct. 
Yeah. He's pulled within one. He he literally looks for one stat at the end of every game, and it's those passes. So That's it. He'll be buzzing with that stat. Well done, Jordan. Okay, well, let's move you on to... Who are we moving you on to? Spurs. Yeah. And we'll go with passes for them as well. Oh. Under two and a half thousand passes. I am struggling because they are quite a passing side, aren't they? Yeah. I think um, I saw a few players up there as well. I'm going to go for Moussa Dembele. Is incorrect. Is it Christian Eriksen? No, it's Jan Vertonghen. Oh, well, they do like to build from the back, Tottenham, do. don't they? They do. So, Mitch, it all comes down to this. We've got one question left each. You are one point behind me in the overall standings. So you get this right and I get mine wrong. Then we go into some sort of sudden death drama, which <laughs> neither of us have that. prepared for. <laughs> um, so your last question of the season domestically is on Manchester United. Yeah. And I want to know who's hit the woodwork the most times for Manchester United this season. There's an intake of breath before he steps up to hit what could be a decisive answer. Oh, see, I've got... Lukaku has a lot of shots, but Pogba seems to have a lot of shots that don't go in. I'm going to risk it with Pogba. It was neither of them. Was it not? He played tonight for England. Lingard. It was Jesse yeah. Lingard. He hit the woodwork three times, which isn't a lot when you consider the amount of uh, attacking options that Manchester United have got. No. Okay. Well, to stretch it out, can you tell me who Manchester City's most booked player was this season? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, I've got absolutely no idea. Uh, I'll go with Fernandinho. Is incorrect. It was Nicholas Otamendi with nine bookings. Well, there you go. A well really crap end <laughs> <laughs> to what's been a really decent quiz throughout the season. So, yeah, thank you for tuning in and uh, for bearing with our, at times, terrible football knowledge. I think yeah. there, were, there were certain weeks where we managed to to not show ourselves up too too bad and um, the the target for next season is to try and get four out of five one week so I don't think it was done at all was it no I don't I think, think it was I think the most that we got was three and um, we need a new category I was going to say the target's going to be thinking of what to do next absolutely Mitch told you how to get in touch with us so if there's anything that you can think of which we would be able to stretch out throughout either the whole season or even just a portion of it then we would be more than pleased to hear from you yes it would be much appreciated and it's much appreciated you joining us thank you very much been a pleasure as always absolutely thank you for listening and we look forward to joining you when we both return with world cup fever come on adios Bye.